It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling is the voice of mountain and forest wildlife and is hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist Chester Moore. Be ready for an increase in altitude and a relentless pursuit of the creatures that dwell there. Welcome to The Higher Calling. This is Chester Moore. One of my all-time favorite topics is bears in Texas. Now, I know many of you listening will think, bears in Texas? Well, the fact is, there are bears in Texas. And in the past, there were more bears in Texas. And it's possible there could be more bears than there are now in the future. That's why I have some really, really awesome guests calling in today. Uh, from the Stephen F. Austin Arthur Temple College of Forestry and Agriculture, we have Dr. Daniel Scognamillo, and we have Sarah Fuller. Welcome to Higher Calling. The way we got hooked up was through a project that I, my job at Texas Fishing Game Magazine, I learned that you guys have done a pretty exhaustive um, search uh, or research about bears into East Texas. And I guess, Sarah, I need to ask you first about this history of black bears in East Texas. I always start out by emphasizing that you know, black bear are, in fact, native to mm-hmm. Texas. Um, and actually, Texas is home to four of the 16 total subspecies um, of black bear. Um, and, you know, so that being said, they're part of our natural and, and cultural heritage. Um, and uh, traditionally, Native Americans and then eventually settlers um, use the bear consistently as a source of food and fuel. Um, and one really interesting story that I came upon during my research was that the um, origin story of how the Alabama Pashada tribe of East Texas obtained fire actually revolved around the black bear. Um, and then in other documents I've read, there's mention that other indigenous hunters would actually travel from surrounding states, um, specifically to the big ticket area, mm-hmm. to hunt there because they were so plentiful. You know, you mentioned four subspecies. I'm familiar with two, the Louisiana black bear and the Mexican black bear. What are the other two? Very, very interesting. Four subspecies of this great animal that um, is part of East Texas and uh, where I live, but also part all the way out into the, the high desert. And, you know, what's interesting about black bears, of course, like many animals, before we had the modern era of hunting where we work with game wardens and licensing and limits and things, we just kind of went buck wild and shot lots of stuff for the dinner table. And uh, in, in bears in East Texas and m- many parts of the state were basically eliminated. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, also another great quote I found in, from the area of the Big Ticket. Um, there were really famed kind of outdoorsmen, uh, Ben Lilly and then Uncle Bud Bracken. Mm-hmm. They would actually lead guided hunts in the Big Ticket. Um, and kind of like what you said there was no limit on, on what they shot and so during one of those hunts and this was in 1906 um there was a journalist sent from the Topeka State Journal mm-hmm. and he actually wrote that the passing of the North American bear is only a question of a few years just by the sheer number that they were taking wow and that's interesting you know and I'm glad that we that we changed course there but also of course there were changes in forestry and all kinds of things and so we get to the point where 
seeing a bear in East Texas was almost non-existent. And then uh, I got into wildlife journalism when I was 19, and uh, that was 27 years ago. And probably around then, around the early 90s, there started to be a fair amount of reports of bears coming back into East Texas. And some people didn't know if it was rumor or whatever, but you guys actually have a study that talks about bears in East Texas and maybe their travel corridors, good areas, and bad areas for bears. All right. So can you tell us about this study, what it's called, and uh, kind of what the research found about bears in this region? Yes. Um, so this is uh, this was a study that we started um, several years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, we finished it uh, uh, two years ago. And it was basically trying to see, uh, knowing that we have areas of suitable habitat for black bears here in East Texas, mm-hmm. we wanted to know... What were the chances of black bears colonizing those areas coming from Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana on, mm-hmm. on their own? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And first, uh, one of the questions was knowing what were the chances of that happening, and if that were the case, what path these animals will take to, to make it to East Texas so we can focus on, on, on those corridors. And... It wasn't actual bears that, that we looked at, mm-hmm. but we used information from uh, bears on the ground coming from those three different states that uh, are neighboring us. Yes. And based on their movement pattern, their habitat use pattern, we uh, plug in all that information into the computer in a model, and that model generated potential paths for uh potential colonization of uh, black bears in Texas. Now you mentioned yeah. habitat. Now, obviously, uh, the question I guess I have to start off with is, what is good bear habitat in East Texas? What does that look like? Well, I mean, we have uh, overall, you, uh, even though they're uh, classified as uh, carnivores, they belong to the order, to the other carnivora, mm-hmm. they are, their diet is an an omnivorous diet. Mm-hmm. They're going to feed almost on, on, on anything they can, they can get, get their hands on. And so in terms of resources here in East Texas, uh, there's plenty of resources, even though there are other variables that probably are going to condition uh, what becomes suitable habitat in terms mm-hmm. of uh, cover or distance from humans or traffic. And um, so based on all of that, uh, and knowing what we know about the, the region uh, in between black bears that are occupying certain areas in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and, and Louisiana, and all the landscape in between those regions and suitable habitat in East Texas, then uh, it was basically a selection process of looking at what is on, on the ground and, and trying to see what is best based on those those variables that I just mentioned in mm-hmm. terms of um, food, cover, distance from roads, distance from humans. So what are some of the um, the better areas that you found? Or were there, were there, was there a zone, was it the southern part or the northern part, or were there different areas that were all around the, the East Texas region that, that had potential? Well, what we have here uh, for East Texas is the um, Middle Natchez River. Mm-hmm. And the lower 
Trinity River. Yes, sir. Uh, recovery area in, in, in Texas. And further closer to to the Louisiana border, we have some good habitat there by the Sabine River. Mm-hmm. Right where I live, so we're about... You see bottomland land, uh, landscape. Uh, we're, we're considering that as, as the best habitat for, for black bears in Texas. Mm-hmm. So is uh, reservoir construction, for example, would numbers of reservoirs and things that um, take away bottom land be a deterrent to numbers of black bears that could be here? Uh, I would say potentially, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just, just because of suddenly what, what we can see today as a suitable habitat, if those reservoirs were to be built, uh, all those patches will be underwater, so they wouldn't have access. Now, looking at that bottomland habitat, does uh, that good bottomland habitat, does that have anything to do with denning? Is there anything in particular about the habitat that makes better denning sites than others? Yes, I mean, searching, uh, uh, looking in terms of the, of the natural history of the species, uh, uh, cover is, is very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how the, the behavior changes through the seasons. Uh, they, I, I wouldn't call it hibernation per se for, for mm-hmm. black bears down here, but uh, so they lower their metabolic rate and they need a secluded space to, to spend the, the winter. And uh, so having that sort of a secluded area is, is, is important for, for keeping them in this area. Mm-hmm. That's, that's key in this case. Was there any limiting factors of connectivity between the states? Like, say, you had good bear habitat on the Oklahoma side, but maybe bad on the Texas side or places like that. Was there anything where there was mismatches on one side or the other? Well, the way, I mean, the, I guess the, the good news, in a, in a sense, is that through, uh, I, I want to make uh, the point clear that uh, what we did was basically simulating mm-hmm. bear movement. Yes. And so there weren't actual bears sure. through, through the landscape. But, but we have uh, interesting numbers in terms of uh, how, uh, of knowing that there, there are paths, natural paths that, that exist today for bears to move through those uh, three different states into East Texas. So they do exist. Mm-hmm. So they, what we'll say, there's connectivity in between the source Target area, mm-hmm. and that is a good thing. Yes. Once, but but with that being said, now we have to say, okay, how likely it is that a bear will, will make it that far? Mm-hmm. And uh, and there are some differences uh, depending on what state uh, we're looking at. So overall, um, uh, considering bears coming from anywhere from those three different states, what are the chances that one of them will reach an area in Texas. We're talking about a, a 2% chance based on, on our model. Wow. And uh, that that means a bear that, for some reason, starts to move uh, south or west, and uh, depending on where it's coming from, and one day finds itself in, in East Texas. So there are but then the chances uh, change from, from one state to another. So, for instance, uh, if the bear were to come from um, 
Louisiana, well, there's a tiny chance that that bear will, will make it. That's one uh, 0.17 chances that a bear will, will, will come here from Louisiana. Oh, wow. And, and there are big, big different factors there, you know, uh, main highways that, that run uh, north-south that are going to probably in, interfere with, with their movement. And, and our models accounted for, for those landscape features. Fascinating. Um, if a bear bear were to come from Arkansas, the chances will be two point one four percent chances hmm. that a bear will make it. And it's more likely that they're going to come if they do from Oklahoma. With uh, I mean, it's not a, a very impressive number, but it's the best we we have. Yeah. Uh, five point five point six percent. Wow, that's a big number yeah. compared to you know very tiny in Louisiana. Two, yes. Yeah. And that and that explains, you know, the the activity that every now and then we get in uh, trail cameras from landowners or, or hunters in, in northeast Texas. Mm-hmm. So every now and then, Texas Forest and Wildlife Department will, will get some information about uh, some sightings in in that area. And that, I mean, our our model kind of a. Um, uh, Agrees with with that evidence coming from 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 the field, which which is good. It's fascinating. Uh, you mentioned like the barriers of like highways and things like that, um, because you know, like the, I know a lot of the bears in in Louisiana are like the Atchafalaya Basin region and kind of the middle part of the state. And I live on the Sabine. I mean, I literally live like a mile and a half from the Sabine River on the Louisiana border. And in my mind, I'm thinking of all these things a bear from that would have to go across. And I'm looking at your numbers and going, oh, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Because I don't think sometimes we think maybe if we see a swamp or and we see a swamp on the other side, well, they could get from there to there. But there's so many other factors when you look at a map and start breaking down what they'd have to go through, you know. And, um, right. you know, it's funny. I, in my mind, I probably would have picked Arkansas because I know a few bear reports from up there. But it's interesting that Oklahoma is the the greater in these? Yes. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yes, and and it and the the thing is, um, uh, there's some evidence, you know, that these animals will will make it, even though the habitat is is, is not perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and the main reason for that is that we they need some some tolerance from from human beings. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. just, just to allow them to exist and to come in, in contact every now and then, uh, that, that is critical. They, these are very resilient species that, you know, they can make it through if uh, mm-hmm. certain conditions are, are in place, even though those conditions might not be perfect for, for them. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Doctor. At Texas Fishing Game Magazine in 2007, I started a program called Bearware. And uh, we've been distributing uh, bear identification posters and laws about black bears in Texas to schools and to feed stores and hunting clubs and uh, letting people know how to distinguish a bear from a feral hog, for example, um, uh-huh, yes. and different things like that. So we appreciate you, you bringing that point up. And that brings up another point is, in my understanding, a lot of the bears that have showed up from like Louisiana, for example, have been sub-adult males looking to go find a female or maybe stretching out their range. Um, what are the chances of like a, a male going out and finding a female? Is that, that, I guess that's a whole other study. Yes. I mean, 
um, when when we're talking, what what we did was just okay. What are the chances? Right? Yes, that, yes. That it, a single bear will make it, and and there's we have several assumptions uh, that go with with that model. Okay. And, and the most basic one is okay. There has to be a reason why that bear wants to move. Okay. Wants to move from from the area where seems like it's doing okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so and that's but that's a different chapter in the book for us to, sure. to discuss what will make a bear to, to move mm-hmm. uh, west or south in, in, in our particular case here. But yes, I will just, just to touch in, on your point, yes, uh, young males are in general among mammals the ones that disperse more. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, females tend to be um, more um, Associated with the area where they they were born, mm-hmm. and males tend mm-hmm. tend to dis, disperse. And but I will say, in many of the cases where we we have seen pictures of a, of a juvenile, mm-hmm. uh, we're guessing what what the sex of that in, individual will will be. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's more likely that it's a young male uh, just trying to find a suitable area to its own home range. I have an article I did called Journey of a Wayward Black Bear. I need to send both of you. And uh, a, a hog hunter about 10 years ago near Bay City, Texas, sent me this photo. Now, Bay City is down by Matagorda County on the coast, kind of southwest of Galveston there. And they they were hog hunting with dogs. The dogs treat a young black bear down there. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, did this bear come from the Trans-Pecos all the way across, come up from Mexico, or did it come from East Texas? And, you know, this thing even, this study even makes me want to look more into that, you know? So it's interesting of these animals having all these obstacles to move around and stuff. But Sarah, I know you and I had spoken before, some of the obstacles of bears, and Dr. Escognomio just mentioned this, is people's interaction. But do you find any public attitudes? What are the public's attitudes about bears in East Texas? Wildlife management is actually, you know, human management. Sure. Um, and you know, trying to guide their behavior um, to not only benefit the wildlife species but their own health and safety. Um, and so, in, in 2007, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife and, and other agencies funded a study um, here in East Texas. It was a 12-county region in deep southeast Texas, um, Newton County, Jasper County, along the, the Sabine River. Um, and yeah, their goal was just to better understand how residents perceive black bears, um, and, and as well as how they would like to see the state actually manage for the possible recovery of the species. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her findings overall, it, it, it indicated you know, a positive perception toward black bear, um, and those perceptions were basically tied to certain demographic characteristics such as sex and age, um, and then as well as um, the respondents involvement in outdoor activities. Um, but she did find one difficulty when collecting the um, information is that a lot of residents, you know, admitted that they just simply didn't know enough about the black bear um, to feel as though they could actually make a decision regarding whether or not they'd actually like to see the species return. Um, 
and then a second study actually conducted by an SFA student uh, in Northeast Texas indicated similar findings that, you know, acceptance was positive overall, um, but again, there was a distinct lack of knowledge of the species. Uh, and then ultimately with both of those studies, um, respondents indicated that you know, if they were to prefer um, the bear's return, they wanted it to occur naturally. They didn't want agency interference um, via like transportation or anything like that. That's really interesting because, you know, there's been a lot of controversy over the wolf restoration in Yellowstone in 94, and there's um, recently uh, going to be a movement to put wolves back in Colorado, but but there was recently a pack found in northwestern Colorado that's already recolonized. And what, from what I've read, the people were a lot more apt to like if they, if they if they come back on their own, that's fine. But let's not let throw a bunch of wolves on the ground, you know. So um, that's really interesting of the public's perception because you you nailed it right there. That's probably the the statement of the podcast era that wildlife management is basically people management. So, and then also just kind of felt, you know, um, dispelling a lot of misconceptions of, you know, when I was talking to landowners, they would say, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, uh, you know, released the bears years ago. Mm -hmm. No, you know, it's, you know, how the, you know, the rumor mill goes. Oh, I've heard, I guarantee you, I have heard personally that black bears have been stocked in East Texas 30, 40 yeah. times from people. Yeah. And, right. and I'm like, no, there's a process for that. And, yeah. But um, that's really interesting. I love that you guys are, are at SFA, at the Arthur Temple School of Forestry and Agriculture, are getting this information to maybe help journalists like me inform people better about wildlife, but also establishing the fact that maybe if we kind of do our thing and educate people, that maybe these great animals could come back into East Texas. And seeing a black bear may never be common, but then again, it may be a lot more common than it is now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good thing. So right now, if kind of things stayed the way they are in East Texas, I guess some of this bear situation would be how they're managed in the other states. I know the Louisiana black bear was delisted off the threatened list recently. Mm -hmm. That is correct, yes. And, you know, uh, as, as we um, started talking about the, the findings of, of our project and, and what uh, mm -hmm. they, they man is important that we recognize that okay we did this study using information that is describing how the landscape looks like today let's, mm -hmm. let's say and then we can sit and wait and hoping that these numbers that i gave you okay they're good enough for us and they will say okay we're willing to wait for some bear or bears mm -hmm. to come our way mm -hmm. but that has uh, that is resting in the assumption that, that the landscape won't change. Okay. What we identify as uh, corridors today will stay like like that mm -hmm. uh, for for many many years. But we know that I mean there are so many different factors associated to human societies and our economy and how things work. The chances of the landscape staying static are very very slim. Sure. So if I had to say something mm -hmm. for these numbers to be uh, or to to remain this way or even get better, the focus has to be on the landscape. And when we say that, we are saying we need to work with the landowner. 
Mm-hmm. They they own the land, sure. and uh, and they are the ones that are going to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. Make the habitat good because if there were bears that could come back from other states and the habitat wasn't there, it's not going to be worthwhile. Not going to work. And it's interesting you mentioned the natural migration process. I, I'm not sure about Oklahoma, but I know for a fact that both Arkansas and Louisiana have both translocated bears from other states in the past to boost their numbers. Uh, so without Texas doing that, you know, it looks like it may not be ever a, in, in at least in the next 20, 30 years, a big bear population, but maybe enough to where we can say black bears are returning. If we work with the landowners, keep poaching at bay, make people aware of bears and be honest about bear behavior. And, uh, I tell you what, I have learned a lot today about black bears, and I thought I knew a fair amount about black bears in Texas, but you guys got me from the get-go with the four subspecies and these migrational routes. And I just, Doctor I, I, and Sarah, I think these are these are fascinating topics, and I thank you for being on the podcast. Well, you're very welcome. And to do this. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I would like, um, I have two book recommendations that your listeners might like. Absolutely. Um, one one is in, in the Land of Bears and Honey by Joe Truitt and Daniel Lay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second is Tales from the Big Thicket by Francis Abernathy. And, you know, both of those, you know, contain a lot of knowledge about the historical black bear in, in the area. Yeah, and what a great... You know, what a great resource for people to have, a book to go learn about the history of the region. And uh, maybe someone's listening to this or thinking, hey, I want to get involved in forestry and studies of black bears. Maybe one day I can do something like that. How can they find out about Stephen F. Austin and the Arthur Temple College of Forestry and Agriculture? Oh, that's great. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, you can go to sfasu.edu. Um, and then our actual college website is pull that up right here. Well, thank you for your research and your diligence, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much, Chester. Appreciate it. Hey, folks, let me take a minute to tell you about my good friends at the Houston Safari Club Foundation. This is an organization that supports hunting and conservation. They've taken hundreds of kids hunting and fishing, given out over $2 million in scholarships, and they provided over $4 million in grants to protect wildlife and habitat at home and abroad. They host great monthly events and an annual convention where you can meet other hunters and learn about all types of hunting. Don't let the name mislead you. They're not just about safaris, but definitely about all kinds of hunting, education, conservation, protecting the future of hunting. That's the Houston Safari Club Foundation. Join today. Call 713-623-8844 or go to wehuntwegive.org to learn more. Higher Calling is brought to you by Texas Fishing Game Magazine, our official sponsor. You can check the online edition out at fishgame.com and also subscribe to their e-newsletter. And if you'd like to meet a personally 
subscribe you to that newsletter because I actually can do that. You can email me at chester at chestermore.com. Fishgame.com is not only wildlife and fisheries in Texas, but we cover things going on nationwide. And you definitely subscribe to the newsletter three updates a week. Killer, killer stuff put together by yours truly. Once again, Higher Calling is sponsored by Texas Fishing Game Magazine at fishgame.com. You've been listening to The Higher Calling, hosted by the wildlife journalist Chester Moore. Contact him at chester at chestermore.com. Follow him at thechestermore on Instagram and his blog at highercalling.net.